Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We want to talk about Jesus Christ tonight. The Bible makes it very clear that God is love. That is who God is. And who God is is what He wants you to be. He wants you to be as He is. So He wants to conform us to the image of who He is. And that image of God needs to have love all over it if we're to be conformed to that image. So here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we find that this is the only place in Paul's writings where he does not mention Jesus Christ. He's not mentioned there at all. You won't find his name there. You can read it over and over and over again. Now, there might be some other translation out there. I don't know. But it would not be from uh, the Word of God. There's a reason for that. It's because God is love and charity is Christ. And uh, we start off with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about how useless your life is without Jesus Christ. And then we end up with the understanding that what will abide forever is Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we read this passage of Scripture. It's only 13 verses. We read in verse number 1, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and have... Uh, not uh, as I speak with the tongues of men and have, and oh, pardon me, the, uh, let me start over again. For some reason, my mind's going off in five different directions. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, just a lot of noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. It's all useless. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. In other words, it's all hopeless. Whatever we do in life without God, it's totally hopeless. God needs to be in it. If God is not in it, then it amounts to nothing. Basically, this is what he's saying. That if God's not there, then it's all done in vain. For he goes on to say, Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, Endureth all things, charity never faileth. By the way, Jesus never faileth. Amen. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is done in part shall be done away. Jesus Christ... One day, we'll establish his kingdom, and all that we know in this old world will be done away. And there's two different interpretations of this verse of Scripture, because it's in the neuter gender rather than the masculine gender. It is by belief some that it is the word of God that will endure forever. And then there are others that say, no, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that will endure forever. I, I take both. Amen. I say they're both right. 
So when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. It's talking about when we see Jesus. So I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Love will bide forever because love is a person. It's not a word. It's not a subject of some attribute that he's speaking of here, but it is the person and the person is Christ. And with that, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you notice, we have uh, several things that love is and love does. You see, when Jesus Christ abides within our life, well, then uh, we have patience. And uh, we are willing to suffer and endure whatever God puts us through. I'm reminded of what is said, and we've been there before, but let's go there again. It makes for good teaching when we're being uh, repetitive on those passages that kind of need to be drilled into our hearts and minds. And we are told in Romans 4 that Jesus Christ was delivered for our offenses. He was raised for our justification so therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace. Also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. With that being read, and that being a thumbprint there in your mind, let's take our Bibles and jump over to James now. And look at James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, we are told that God wants to bring about his perfect work within us. So James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or many or all kinds of different temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, the natural response to any kind of adversity is to escape it. But as we read in Romans chapter 5, we who are saved... Uh, Rather than running from adversity, uh, we need to partner with Jesus Christ and allow him to bring us through it because the trials of your faith uh, bring you to a place called hope. And that hope is the love of God that is shed abroad within your hearts that we have given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we can endure whatever sometimes People run from a troubled marriage because uh, they can't deal with it any longer. I just can't handle that woman. And so I'm going to run from this relationship. I'm just going to cut it off. And that's what God tells us to do. God says, no, I want you to suffer long. I want you, if uh, I'm dwelling with you, to be patient, wait upon me. My wife was patient for several years, waiting upon the Lord to do something with me, while the family was not impatient. 
or pardon me, while the family was not patient, uh, they were very impatient, and they were saying, why are you putting up with him? Why are you allowing this to go on? Why don't you divorce him? Why don't you get rid of him? <laughs> Good advice, huh? But she stayed faithful. And look what she got. <laughs> 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 you know, I think we're going to have a lot of regrets when we get to the other side, when we realize our lack of patience. Here's what I was giving you, but I had to try you and I had to test you. And if you would have just faithfully held out and endured the trials, uh, then here's what I would have perfected in you because it would have brought about its perfect work. But many will never see that perfect work. I think of when we started Bible Baptist Church there in Puyallup, Washington, uh, there was, oh, about a year and a half into it. Um, I had a little business here in California before I went to Washington and dealing in uh, non-furious metals that I would buy and sell for a much higher price and living a good life, making good wages back in those days. We weren't rich, but I was making what most people had to work a 40-hour week for. In one day, I could make that much, sometimes a lot more than that. And so everything that we own, we paid cash for. We always had plenty of money, plenty of food on the table. Bills were always paid. And uh, whatever we wanted, we just went out and bought it. And then God began to tug at my heart about the ministry. And, and I was willing to walk away from uh, what could have grown into a very profitable business and uh, do something else because I knew in my heart that God wanted me to do something than just deal with junk. <laughs> I wanted to deal with wrecked lives rather than wrecking something that someone had made just for a few profit. So <clears throat> off we went after graduating from Bible college. We made it to the state of Washington. And I felt in my heart I wanted to start a church. And so a year and a half into that... We were struggling, and people were not uh, as happy to uh, support us as what we've enjoyed down through the years after that. And they would come for a while, and they would leave. And I finally got discouraged during those trials, going down to an old community hall building, and the floor would be frozen. They had this one big old heater. The building was little bigger than this building, and, and the floors uh, were hardwood floors, and they would have dances there Friday and Saturday night, and wedding receptions, and they were supposed to clean it up. Sometimes they wouldn't clean it up. And there'd be beer spilled on the floor, and it'd be frozen. It can get very cold at night in the state of Washington. And I'd go down there early Sunday morning, and I would clean up the beer pick up the beer cans and clean up the trash and and get everything ready, set up the chairs for service. And this was going on for several months. And finally, I just got discouraged with it all. And I said, you know, it's just not worth it. We had some folks that were coming that joined the church and decided they wanted to go somewhere else. And I decided that uh, I'd be better off to go back down to California. Uh, I, I'm, this, this is my call. My sweet little wife said, no, you didn't drag me all the way up here and convince me that God called you into the ministry to go back down there. We're not doing this. If you go, you go without me. And so I said, okay, well, I guess we're just going to have to make it work. And uh, I decided we we're going to stick and stay until God uh, makes it pay. And, and finally, God began to bless but we had to go through two years of just doing our best to try to get a work going. And then people started coming. And 
they started inviting their friends and souls were getting saved and we had the revival meeting. We invited Brother Wayne Rose to come and we had a great meeting and we just went for three weeks with that meeting, ended up with 120 people saved. And within our third year, our church was averaging 200 in attendance. And I was so fearful that those people one day would leave, but they just stayed. And then the churches kept growing. And we got involved in a building program. And next thing we knew, we were in a brand new building, all paid for as we just went by faith. And it was all because someone said, you got to endure now, with my sweet wife, I believe that sometimes in a marriage, when God gives us a helpmeet, she is exactly what God says she is, a completer. And that's what the word helpmeet means over there in Genesis chapter 2, a completer. And so, because of the encouragement, just to stick and stay. God was able to work through us. Patience will have its perfect work if we'll just wait upon the Lord and not get discouraged. Raising our children, sometimes it takes a lot of patience. But in time, God begins to work. We can never give up on believing what God can do. And then we find that charity envieth not. You see... When the love of Christ is within us, we don't have that problem with resenting other people. Uh, it's very sad when you run across people that are filled with resentment, filled with jealousy, filled with envy, uh, resenting your accomplishments, uh, resenting who you are. In fact, uh, I've run across some preachers like that. Uh, and they try to make excuses why we were growing and they were not growing. They resented the fact that God was blessing us and they assumed they weren't being blessed. And we wonder, well, where's the Lord in all of that? We have to be careful that we never go there. We never get to that place where we resent other people because... Uh, they're being blessed where we're not being blessed. Envieth not. It vaunteth not itself. Uh, we don't go around praising ourselves. Uh, the word vaunteth there is in reference to someone who's filled with excessive self-praise. Always talking about themselves. Always talking about what they're able to accomplish and what they have done never deflecting it over to anyone else. Uh, they want to take in all the credit. They want to take in all the praise because it's all about me. It's my accomplishments. We have to be careful that we never get there. I've seen preachers get there. And uh, they want to hold meetings. They want to tell people how we got it done. I remember there was this one pastor in the state of Washington. Um, he was being very successful in uh, where he was taking the church, a well-established church that had gone through some problems. And so he was called uh, by the church to be their new pastor. And uh, they were raising lots of money to get into a brand new building program. Uh, the attendance had doubled and tripled. The offerings were tremendous. And so he had this fellowship meeting and, and um, rather than inviting other pastors like at most preachers meetings, his staff were the preachers and they were telling other preachers how to get it done, how to build a Sunday school class, how uh, to establish a great accounting system, how to motivate your people and how to grow. And then, of course, the pastor, he spoke. And so it was all about their church and all about their success. And there was no, no deflection of that praise over to uh, the men that had come there before and labored and built those buildings, ones that bought the property, that had the foresight to see 
what God could do in the future with that building. There was nothing said about these men, these pastors. There was only criticism how they, they could have taken the church to where it was, but they just didn't have the wisdom. And how their ministry only hindered the work. But here we are, and so look what we've done. Wasn't long after that, the pastor resigned. Wasn't long after that, the church went through a major split and had some tremendous problems. And then one of those seasoned pastors that knew how to deflect the praise and knew how to praise other pastors and praise the people for their faithfulness and their steadfastness came in there. His name was Bill Bramlett and brought the church back to a place of growth. Uh, we have to be careful. We sometimes can do that with our own lives. We do it in our marriage. We think we can, we're getting successful, and, and uh, sometimes we forget that it's the grace of God that's brought us to the place that we're at. And we're not giving Him the praise. And so it's very important that we learn from those lessons because charity is not puffed up. It's not arrogant in its behavior. It's not full of self. Charity, uh, notice, it does not behave itself unseemly. You know, I have a problem with those, and I, I'm I insulted, to be quite honest, when someone can... Uh, tell these foolish jokes and, and come up with foolish gesturing in front of me. Uh, I have a problem with that. Sometimes out of grace, I don't say anything. And other times, you know, I say, listen, I don't want to hear that. I won't mention the preacher's name, but he was a close preacher friend of mine. But sometimes he would uh, come up with some foolish uh, gesturing and and making some foolish comments. Uh, sometimes you wonder why their mind is in the garbage can. And uh, we had a preacher, evangelist, by the name of Brother Paul Swanky. And there were four of us. We were in the car. We were headed to a restaurant to have a, a time of fellowship during this revival meeting with Brother Paul Swanky. We've had Brother Paul Swanky here before. And there was no hanky-panky with Brother Paul Swanky. <laughs> and so, and this was a much older preacher. He was twice Brother Paul's age. And he started talking about some things that was foolish gesturing. And uh, Brother Paul Swanky said, uh, I'm offended that you would even talk to me like that. I don't know how the rest of the brethren feel but it offends me. And I would appreciate it if you would not talk about that anymore. And so he shut up. I said, Amen. We have to be careful that we don't go there. And sometimes we're all guilty of that, and we see humor in it, but sometimes it's a stumbling block to others, and and uh, the Lord, uh, he does not see humor in it. You see, love is considered of other people. We have to be very wise in, in our humor to make sure that we're not saying anything that's out of line as far as the word of God is concerned that might be considered inappropriate or rude. And then we find that charity seeketh not her own. He does not put her, charity does not put itself above uh, others. When we get to that place to where uh, we put ourselves above others, where it is for us first, you know, <laughs> we want to be first in line. Uh, we want to be first, uh, you know, out the door. We're at the grocery store, and, and uh, they open up the register because there's eight or nine people waiting in line at the next one, and we want to be the first to run over there. And this is a true story. And I, 
But there was at Stater Brothers there in Desert Hot Springs. They had about three uh, clerks there, you know, checking people out. And each one of those clerks had about eight or nine people with their carts waiting in line. And so they got on the on the mic and asked for some people to come and help. And so this this young man comes and he opens up another line, another register, and there's three or four people, they all go running over there together, and I'm just standing there. And this guy looks at me and he says, you can go ahead and get in front of me. And I said, no, I'm okay, I'm, I'm fine right here. <laughs> and he said, no, no, I could tell by the look on your face. Uh, that you were disappointed when those people rushed over there that you wanted to be in front of them. And I said, excuse me? And he says, no, I could see it on your face. I could see the look on your face. You were angry and you were frustrated at them. I said, no, sir, you're reading me wrong. Maybe that look was on my face, but that was not mine. My mind was somewhere else. But I'm not that impatient. I don't mind waiting. No, go ahead. And he said, no, no, go ahead. He says, I, I believe what I saw. And I said, well, you can believe what you, what you have seen, but it wasn't what you think it was. And so I said, believe what you want, but I'm very patient. I love the Lord. And one thing he's teaching me is patience, and I'm doing my best to learn. He said, okay, never mind. He just moves on. I said all that just to simply say this. People do watch us. Now, he read me wrong, but I was watching those people. You know, and some of those, you know, are younger people running in front of an older woman or whatever. And people notice that. You know, when we're kind and considerate and, and we're out there on the road and people are, you know, trying to get out of a, a shopping center into the traffic and you're not going to let them get in front of you, then you're putting yourself above those people. But when you're courteous and you let them move in and then here comes another car and you let them move in and then you got people behind you honking, well, then you know what their attitude is. <laughs> I mean, you don't stay there forever, but you do try to show some respect and be courteous when you see that there's a mile long of traffic behind you and those poor people, you know, there's only one or two cars. Why not let them in? But there are some like that. They just not, they do not want you to get in front of them. And hopefully that's not you. And I have to say at times that has been me. And the Lord convicts me of that. That's why I never put on my bumper sticker, honk if you love Jesus. <laughs> Just in case I get uh, in that bad mood that some people do when they're out there on the road. <laughs> so uh, charity is not easily provoked. It doesn't... Uh, quickly react to all the different issues that sometimes comes our way. You know, rather than reacting, sometimes we just need to stop and think for a moment. But, you know, there's some people, they blow their top before they even think about oh, what really happened. And then later on, they have to apologize. So, you know, I, I jumped the gun on that one. I blew my top and I didn't realize <laughs> what was going on there, and so would you please forgive me? It's so important that we understand that if the love of Christ is in us, then we've got to learn to be patient and loving and caring and understanding and respectful of others. And before we jump to conclusions and we get too upset about things, we might want to wait and think about what we're doing before we respond. And that's what it means when it says charity is not easily provoked. Charity thinketh no evil. You know, there's people out there, they say, well, I don't get mad, I get even. Yeah. That says a lot about that person, doesn't it? And I've pastored people like that. 
I've pastored people that have got offended at something that happened in the church or some people that were in the church and they left and went somewhere else. And they didn't get mad at those people. They were getting even by doing all kinds of crude and rude and, and, and I'll just call it evil things and to get even with those people. Uh, we need to be careful that we don't take on that character. There's nothing funny about it. It's, it's evil and it's wicked. And yet there are those out there that will do that. We had some folks that left the church up there in the state of Washington. They were very angry and upset with us. So uh, the one person was our church accountant, and she decided that uh, she was going to report us to the Internal Revenue Service. And she knew our books, and she knew what we were doing and how, how we were appropriating those funds, but she thought it needed some investigation since she left. And you heard me tell the story before. And so after $500 and, and three months of being audited, both the, my family and our church family, or not the church, but the church family, but the church itself, uh, they ended up... Uh, owing us $150. There are people out there, and then you hear these bad stories as to what happened to those people. We want to make sure that we don't go there. See, love would never take you there. There's just something wrong about the spirit of a person like that. Charity, we find that it is one that rejoices not when people are in trouble with sin, but rejoices when people are growing in truth. Amen. And when people are in trouble with sin, they're grieved. Well, did you hear about that one family that left the church? What happened to them? And No, I didn't hear. And there are some people that rejoice over what happened. How sad. Well, don't you think we ought to pray for that family? Don't you think that we ought to reach out and do our best to help that family? I mean, as a young pastor, we had some folks leave our church, and some of them went through some great trials, and I asked the people uh, to give a love offering. We raised money and sent the money to those families. We asked the people if they'd write them, send them a card, and let them know we're praying for them. Let them know that we love them. <laughs> and some of those people are so filled with bitterness they wouldn't accept the cards Yeah, I, I feel sorry for people like that where is the love of Christ in all of that you know, and you can expect as our church grows uh, there are going to be problems like that because the devil is going to do everything he can to tear down the church God's going to allow it to test us and to see where our love is and where our patience and our long-suffering is. But to end, we come out better. And God continues to bless. Because charity beareth all things. Charity believeth all things. You know what I think that means there is we're, all going to, we're always going to believe the best about people before we believe the worst. We hear some gossip say, well, you know, I don't believe that. Well, it's true. Well, I refuse to believe that that's true. I won't believe it until it becomes fact. And that's always been my attitude. I don't want to take joy in someone's trials. Because what goes around comes around. So the Bible makes it very clear that... Love believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Because love is Jesus Christ. And when you have him, you will never fail. Amen. Now let me just say very quickly some things that love is not. We read in 1 John chapter 4 verse number 8 that he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Well, what does that mean? Well, it just simply means that love is not an emotion. It means that love is a person. 
when we have genuine love, we have God in our lives. When I can say to my wife, I love you with the purest of love, I'm saying I love you with the purest of who God is. And God has given me a love for you that I didn't have before. Love that I had was an emotional love. means nothing. But when Jesus Christ came into our relationship, and then we had a love uh, that binds together. It laminates. It is the glue that keeps our relationship growing. So we can celebrate 55 years of being glued together in God's love. You see, love is not an addiction to an attraction. Uh, that is a fatal attraction. We need to be careful when we understand love in that kind of a way. The Bible makes it very clear as we read over in 1 John chapter 15 through verse number 17 uh, that the attractions that the devil wants to give to us, you know, people, oh, I love this world, oh, I love the things of this world. All of those things are fatal attractions. And uh, when we find ourselves there, we find ourselves in a place to where we bring judgment upon ourselves. Because God is a very jealous God. So God says, I don't want you to love like that. Don't love the world. That's a fatal attraction. Neither the things that are in the world, that's a fatal attraction. If any man love the world, well, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What is the will of God? <laughs> Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, with all thy soul. What is the second commandment? Well, it's like the first. To love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, <clears throat> it needs to be God first. We can't love other things more than we love God. And it becomes a fatal attraction. You cannot love a person more than you love God. If you love someone to the place to where that person is pulling you away from the Lord, then you've entered into a fatal attraction. And I've known of people that used to be faithful in church and they ended up marrying someone that wasn't faithful in church, that didn't want to go to church, that wanted to do other things on their free weekend. And so the person proved that they loved that person more than they loved God and allowed that person to pull them away from the Lord. And it only ends up in fatality. You see, whatever you love that takes the place of God is a fatal attraction. And it is a, a love uh, that will only bring hurt and destruction into your life. So we need to understand that God's love is not that kind of a love. If we're to be addicted to anything, and by the way, there are people that are addicted to other people. They have to be around them. Ooh, that's scary. Because they come, become stalkers. If uh, something is wedged between them because of that addiction that they have for that person, uh, usually it ends up in bodily harm. And there are a lot of weird people out there that you need to stay clear of. And one of the greatest tests is how much do they love God? We have to be careful that we don't end up 
in a situation where we're with someone that is sensual and devilish. Notice, we're told in James chapter 3, in verse number 14, Lie not against the truth, the wisdom that descendeth not from above is earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. So where there is envy and strife is there is confusion and every evil work. If someone is envious of you and they are filled with strife because of any competition that they're dealing with for your love, mark it down. You're dealing with something that is very deadly. The Bible says it is an evil work. That's why we read about these serial murders. That's why we hear these stories about uh, a husband killing his whole family because of the fatal attraction that that person has. You see, real love, healthy love, is always opposite of that. Uh, it's not filled with strife. It's filled with patience. It's, it's not envious. It's not full of jealousy. It doesn't possess. It doesn't claim you as ownership. It's totally opposite of that. By the way, love is not sensual. Uh, it is a relationship that's based on holiness and righteousness. Uh, you young ladies and young men need to understand if someone's attracted to you because of your appearance, uh, then it's probably a sensual love. It needs to be a soul love. And they've gotten to know you. It's not because of your, your debonair looks or your beauty, but because of who you are. I love you because of the person that you are. Now, there's these people out there, wow, you ought to see this girl I'm dating mine. She is really beautiful. Wow. That could be a sensual love. I have found down through the years of pastoring what <clears throat> I thought of someone to be beautiful after I got to know them a while, I realized they're not so beautiful. Amen. Their attitude stinks and ugliness is written all over them. And you get to know them and you think, why in the world did I ever think that there was any kind of attraction to that person? And then there are others that I thought, well, you know, that, that lady is a little homely. But then after I got to know that person, I think, wow, what a godly person. What a beautiful person. What a sweet person. She make a wonderful wife for somebody. And then you start seeing that inward beauty. The inward beauty bring, bring, brings out the outward beauty. Sometimes we, we see beauty in the wrong way. Genuine love looks to the heart. It's a brotherly love. And then we find that love is not insanity or fanaticism. Genuine love is, is far from that. I mean, yet, there are Christians that are referred to as fanatics. All those people, they love Jesus to the point to where they're so fanatical about their relationship with God. Praise the Lord. I'd rather be fanatical about the Lord. But <clears throat> there are those out there that would consider Christians to be insane we're fanatical and we're weird because we love Jesus. Well, there's nothing wrong with loving Jesus, but Jesus is not fanatical. He's not insane. <laughs> He's genuine, pure, holy, righteous love. 
And there's a balance there in that love. We need to understand that fanaticism, there is no balance. Therefore, it's important that we would understand and we would realize that if we're filled with God's love, it's going to be a love that's filled with respect, it's filled with honor, it's filled with understanding. It's considered of others. We're not so fanatical with our love for Jesus Christ that we divorce ourselves from everyone else. And there are some like that. I, I don't believe that God wants us to be stoics. Just, well, I'm just going to go off in the desert. Now I'm just going to spend time with Jesus and no one else. <laughs> That's fanaticism. But no, we need to go out into the world. We need to love souls. We need to love people. We need to love them as Jesus loved them. Uh, yes, Jesus wants us to love him with all of our heart and our soul, but he doesn't want us uh, just going off into the desert or into the woods and just spending all of our time with him. No, he wants us going out there spending some of our time telling others about him and then uh, spending some of our time uh, developing and growing our children and our loved ones and those that we're close to to be faithful to Him. He does want us to live a life. And yet there are those that would label it, that kind of love as fanatic and insane. By the way, love is not in exclusive. Love motivates us to reach out to others. I think I pretty much covered that by what I just said. And so we take in more of the world, the community around us to reach them. We want to get out there and mingle with people because we don't want to exclude them. You know, God's love wants to go into all the world and reach as many as possible. It's not just exclusively for you. God has included others. Love is not harmful. It's not destructive. It's constructive. It builds us up. It doesn't tear us down. Love is not dependency. And there are some out there that are totally dependent upon you. Where... <clears throat> They're no longer able to help themselves. You know, the one thing about God's love is God wants us uh, to start picking ourselves up by our bootstrings. God wants us to get out there. God wants us to apply ourselves. Uh, God wants us, yes, to trust in Him and to be dependent upon Him, but not to be independent of uh completely of ourselves to where uh, we are no longer able to trust in God, but we are to come to that place to where we are so saturated with God and God's love is so embellished within our hearts and our minds to where we can function, we can live our lives totally free from being dependent of other people. Uh, where God has lifted us up and given us the strength to walk in His steps, to live according to His will. Uh, we're no longer crawling, uh, but we're running. Uh, we're no longer babies that need to be nourished along, uh, but he, His love has brought us to a place of maturity uh, where we have grown in love and, and we can independently do things on our own. We don't have someone every day prodding us. Uh, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. Uh, you need to witness. No, uh, we're doing these things on our own. God has brought us to a place of maturity. Uh, we can stand up independently from everything else and say, God, I'm going to serve you. I trust you for your strength and for your goodness, but this is something I want to do for you. And then God gives us the strength to do that. 
You see, we want, isn't that what we want of our children? Do you want your children to grow and mature to where you're not constantly having to nourish them along? You see, that's where God wants to bring us, to where we stand for God, we run the race for God. But we run the race without people prodding us along. You see, the, the whole purpose of the church is for you to come here to get the encouragement to go out there and stand alone for God. And so God's love is not dependency, but God's love is that love that teaches us how to stand and how to stand alone. How to get out there and fight it if need be, fight alone. Not to back down. It's not frivolous, but it's real. Does that love dwell in you? Is the love of God perfected in you to the place to where uh, you are now strong in the Lord? You are able to put on the whole armor of God. You are able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, you have that breastplate of righteousness. You have the helmet of the assurance of your salvation. You don't need a pastor or anyone else to tell you that you're saved. You know you're saved. You understand because you, you have matured in God's love to the place to where you are now a man of God or a woman of God. You see, we got so many out there today that don't know how to stand for God. That's where God's love wants to bring us. Amen. No parent that truly loves their children want their children to be a baby all their life. And they want them to grow up and be mature and stand and stand alone without being tied to mommy or daddy. Yeah, we're to trust in the Lord. Yeah, we're to believe in God. We're to ask God for strength. But then there are going to be times where God wants us to stand. Amen. And believing that uh, when trials come, he's standing there with us. I don't know if I made sense there, but Amen. I want you to understand that the true maturity of God's love is going to bring you to a place to where you're going to be a man of God. I believe it's over there in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 13 where he says, quit you like men. That's where God wants to bring us with every head bowed.